It has been such a joy to be going through Romans together. I can't tell you the feedback that I've been getting from you all and those that have been following along with the studies, just how God really uses this book to transform lives and transform communities and churches when you understand the truths that Paul lays out in this letter to the people in the church of Rome. And we understand what these things mean to us. It wasn't just for them at that time. It's for us now just the same way. Chapters one through five, we spent our time in the courthouse, and now we've moved from the courthouse to the power plant. God's amazing grace needed, as we've found out in the courthouse, that all the world stands guilty before God and in need of his grace. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All can embrace God's grace, not by doing more work, not by following more rules, not by this way or that way, reading the right Bible or wearing the right clothes or saying the right things at the right time but just by believing him, by trusting him. And so then we moved into chapter 6, 7, 8. We're in chapter 6 today. Chapter 6, 7, 8 are represented by the power plant. If we're saved by grace, then where does the power come from to actually give us victory over sin? You see, we thought, I was taught, you were taught, the world we live in says that the only way to control people's behavior is by giving them more rules to follow. And we see how that works. Well, if it's not more rules, if it's not, you know, more laws or stricter laws or more punishment, if it's not more rituals and more religious rules, then if we're saved by grace, then what's the motivation? Why should people live any differently? Why don't people just continue in sin? And that was the first question he answered in chapter six. If you look back at verse one, he said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So the idea is that having been a Christian, having become a Christian and having been saved by grace, What's the motivation to not continue in? And this first part talked about a lifestyle of sin. And Paul answered that question basically using baptism as an illustration of our death and resurrection being united with Christ. We have a new life. We've died to the old life. Just like when Christ died, we died. When Christ rose, we rose. We have a whole new life. I'm now a new person. The old person was connected to sin. The new person's connected to Christ. That's why I have a new lifestyle, because I'm a new person. And so he's dealt with that question, and he ended that section with verse 14. He said, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin's not in control of you. You're not under law, but under grace. And he's going to pick up on that. He says, look, guys, you're not under law. Law and grace don't go together. God doesn't give you grace to follow the law. Do you see that here? It's not both and, it's one or the other. You're not under law, under the control of law, you're under grace. How many of you remember a wonderful little game when I was growing up? I think it still is made called Operation. That was a great game, caused me humongous amounts of stress. If you remember that game, you know, you had the little metal tweezers and a battery powered thing and you try to to pick the little bones and the little body parts out of the guy on the board there that were surrounded with little metal borders. And you had to be so careful. If you just touched that little border a little bit, you know, the lights went off and a buzzer sound and you ah, just scary. And I was thinking about that. I have no idea why. Don't ask me. But that game came to mind and just reminded me of what it is to live, what it's like to live under the law. Even though you're so careful, even though you're trying your best, you're walking on eggshells because there's these expectations that people have of me. And there's this 
expectations that God has of me. And, and somehow I'm trying to walk on eggshells, but I just can't seem to get it right. And then the buzzer goes off. Bam, that's the wrong Bible. Bam, that's the wrong way to dress. You're not dressing right. Bam, that's the wrong kind of music to listen to. And we've got all these, ah, and I'm just trying and failing. And so it creates huge amounts of stress. I mean, people that live under the law are stressed out all the time. Then you get isolated. Then you get rebellious. Then you figure, well, I'm never going to make God happy anyway. Why bother trying? And you walk away. And so many people have walked away from God because they never understood his grace. They heard all about his rules and his laws, but they never understood his grace. And here Paul makes this huge statement. He says, you're not under the control of law, under the dominion of law. You are under grace. You're in a new kingdom. You're in the kingdom of grace. You're in grace land, but without Elvis. You're in Graceland, and Graceland is a wonderful place to live. That means that, yes, God is still holy. Yes, there is still right and wrong. But when we fall short, there's still kindness and love, despite us falling short of expectation. And all the things we couldn't do for ourselves, God has done for us. Welcome to the world of grace. We sinned. God forgave us. We couldn't live a sinless life, so God gave us his righteousness. He knew he couldn't trust righteousness to us, so he does it for us. And so if that's true, and this is what Paul would answer, the natural next question to answer is, okay, Steve, if that's true, I mean, if I'm forgiven for my sins, and I'm completely and utterly righteous in Christ, I have his righteousness. I mean, you can't be any more right than Christ. He was sinless, and that's attributed to me, given to my account. Then is it really a big deal if I choose to indulge sin now and then? See, not so much a lifestyle of sin. I mean, I'm a Christian, but sometimes I feel like sinning. And I justify sin because, well, I can do it because God forgives me. Oh, God loves me. I can engage in this lustfulness. I can choose to isolate from the Christian community. I can choose to not love my neighbor if I don't feel like it. And today, I just don't feel like being very forgiving. I want to chew my boss out. Let him know what I really think of him. I want to get in some arguments on Facebook because I feel good when I do that. It feeds this wicked little part of me. Am I free to tie one on on Friday night, Saturday night to get drunk? Well, that's a good question, isn't it, church? I mean, if we're saved by grace and we're not under the law and we're under grace, then... That's what Paul has to answer. Look at verse 15. He says, what then? Shall we sin? And we're talking about individual acts of sin, not a lifestyle, but my decision today and tomorrow, the next day to follow the Lord or to follow my sinful desires. Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? And he says, well, sure, why not? Go ahead. Go for it. I mean, you're saved by grace. God will forgive you. Have fun. Live a little. Sometimes that's what we tell each other. But is that what Paul says? No, it's not what Paul says. He says, no way. Certainly not. He uses the strongest Greek negative he can use. He says, no. Just because you're saved by grace doesn't mean you should go on and justify sinning here and there. Well, that sounds great, Paul, but why not? I mean, don't you think he should give us an example? And he does. I'm glad that Paul loves to illustrate his messages because that makes my job really easy. He used baptism as an illustration in the first half of chapter 6, and now he uses slavery as an illustration in the second half of chapter 6. Notice, if you would, 
that in neither place and in none of this section will he call on law again. He'll say, well, because we're saved by grace, now you've got to keep these rules. He goes past law because the only way rules really work is if you obey them, right? I mean, we used to say locks are for honest people. A law, it only works if the person obeys it. And that doesn't really address the real rebellious nature of the human heart. The real desire of the human heart to be autonomous. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. See, that's what we would call freedom, right? I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And so sometimes, even though we're Christians, we still get that little bent in our lives that says, I know what God says, but this is how I feel. This is what I'm doing. And that's what Paul's addressing when we feel that way, when we think that way. And here's the principle he gives us, verse 16. He says, no way. He doesn't just say, because I told you so. He says, don't you know? So he's appealing to your knowledge. He's saying, there's something you got to know. And it has nothing to do with law. It has everything to do with relationship. Everything that he's going to talk about, every reason not to sin, has nothing to do with because the rules say so, but everything to do with because of the relationship I'm in. And this relationship is the master-slave. He says, don't you know, church? Don't you know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. That's his principle. And he's going to spend the next number of verses illustrating and expanding on that principle. But first he lays out, here's the principle. The deal is, is that, You think you're free, but you're not. To quote the wonderfully famous theologian, Bob Dylan, he didn't know he was making a theological statement when he said you're going to serve somebody. And here Paul says there's two choices. He says, don't you know that there's two choices? And the only choice, the only freedom you really have, listen, the only freedom you really have is the freedom to decide who calls the shots in your life. And you say, well, I don't want either of those. I want option number three. What's option number three? Well, I don't want God or sin. I want to call my own shots. I want to be autonomous. I want to decide. Freedom means I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. You try to tell people what to do these days, especially in independent, free America. I mean, freedom is so much at the core of who we are as Americans. We're in the land of the free. This is a huge issue, and this is the buzzword for all these arguments we're having and discussions about, you know, so much stuff on the news all comes back to freedom and what freedom really means. And I started to look into this, and I thought, wow, this is a complicated subject. Freedom's a com- Because I'm not free to take more than three ounces of liquids on the plane. And I'm not free to drive 75 miles an hour on Route 53. So I had to ask myself, well, what really is freedom? And Paul says, well, the real freedom that you have is who you present yourselves to obey. So if you wonder, well, who is my master? See, everybody's mastered. That's what Bob Dylan taught us. That's what Jesus teaches us. Everybody's mastered. The only question that you have to solve really is who pulls the strings. Because you say, well, this is what I want to do. But remember what we learned? What did we inherit from our great, 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 great grandfather, Adam? We inherited Sin and death. So when you hear that voice inside of you that sounds like you, it's really not you. It's the voice of sin. See, you just misinterpret it 
as you. See, your identity is much more fluid than you think it is. You are very plastic, meaning you can change. But there's different voices competing for control of your life. The only question is, which voice will you listen to? And you'll know which one masters you because it's the one when it calls you obey. When two people give you a choice, when two people make conflicting demands of your life, and then you have to choose, if one person says, well, I want you to take a left, and the other person says, I want you to take a right, one of those voices sounds like me, the other voice sounds like my wife. No, go left, go right. I don't know. Ask for directions. No, my man, we don't do that. You have to obey one or the other, right? You have to pick. And the minute you pick... You've not just chosen a behavior, you've chosen a master. Does that make sense? Are we together on what Paul is saying here? This is huge. This is gigantic because so many in the people in the world think they are their own autonomous free agents to do what they want. What they don't know is their mind is being instructed by sin. And listen, sometimes sin is what I do that's wrong, but sometimes sin is what I don't do that's right. So just because I'm not an axe murderer or something like that, I know a lot of people that say, well, I don't really feel like loving my neighbor. I really love myself. I want to do what makes me feel good. And that can be sin. And so this is the choice he lays out. You know, I was just reading an article last night about Google. I used to think Google was in the search engine business. You know what I found out? Google is in the advertising business. They make 22 billion dollars by controlling what you think and letting you think you thought it. You've not had an original idea. I hate to tell you, but either sin is generating your ideas and other people are willing to utilize sin to help you decide and think that this is what you really want. I mean, it's Christmas time. This is the best time of the year for all this to take place. Everybody's trying to get into your pocket and influence what you think and what you think you need. Oh, we just can't live without one of those. Got to have some of that. But don't you know, he says, the one who you present yourself to obey, you've made them your master. And that's the dangerous aspect of a sin, an occasional sin, a choice to sin. In doing that, then you make sin your master. You think, well, you know, what possibly could come from flirting? Well, flirting becomes this, and then that becomes that, and then the next thing you know, you're on the news being charged with sexual misconduct. Well, it's just a little lie. And then it's another lie and it's another lie. And pretty soon, you see, you've probably experienced some time in your life when there's something you said, you know, I really don't want to do that. Like, I really don't want to smoke, but then I get the urge to smoke. And then it's a conflict. And then I answer the urge to smoke and then my life feels out of control. Do you know how many people feel out of control in their lives? Maybe it's you. Maybe you're going, I just feel so out of control. You're not actually out of control. You're under control by the chaos monster sin that lives in your life. That's why you feel out of control because the one who has control leads you to death and chaos. And that's what he's telling us because you can't serve two masters. You're going to have to choose. Be careful who you choose. It's the only real freedom you have. So you can choose sin and that will lead you to death. It'll kill a lot of stuff in your life. Sin is deadly. Sin kills relationships. Sin kills opportunities. Sin kills passions. Sin kills spiritual desires. Sin binds you. Sin isolates you. 
So you can choose sin, and sometimes you do. You say, well, I just feel like choosing sin now. I just feel like choosing sin. Or you can choose, and that's what he says, it's your choice, choose to obey, and that leads to righteousness. So you can't say, well, I was born that way. We were all born that way. We were all born into sin. But when it comes to that moment-by-moment temptation, that moment-by-moment choice, now you're going, okay, I got two people competing for my life. Anger is calling to me to explode and use a lot of curse words. But Jesus is calling me to let my words always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Book of Colossians. (gasps) Now do I present my mouth as a slave to sin? We don't often give it that much thought. We just act and react, right? Paul says, I want you to give this stuff some thought because you get to choose. Then he goes back to their past. Look at verse 17. He says, there was a time in your life that you were living as a slave of sin. But he says, verse 17, but God be thanked. Oh, thank God that though you were slaves of sin, that's who you were. You did whatever sin called you to do, whatever you felt like. That's what you engaged in. Whatever desire came, you just yielded to it. Yet you obeyed from the heart that form or that pattern, that mold of doctrine, teaching, to which you were delivered. It's passive. You were delivered to it. The doctrine wasn't delivered to you, although that's true. Paul says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But more importantly, when you heard that teaching, you obeyed it from the heart. And that obedience to that teaching, to that instruction, set you free from sin. That's what he says here. He says, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Let me just make an interesting note here. When I read that word delivered, I I like to conjure up word pictures in my mind. The first thing that came to mind was delivery room, hospitals, and babies. That's what I think. When I think of the word delivered, I know you could think of Amazon and all kinds of, but this is me. You got your own mind and issues to deal with. I got my own. That's what came to mind. So I started to poke around. You know, you're thinking that we talk about women delivering their baby and the baby being delivered. But you know, that's not always how the word was used. This is what I found out, that really in older times, the word delivery was used of the mother. It was the mother who was delivered from her pregnancy. Did you know that? Some of the women are going, amen. That's a long nine months. We had a friend, Helga and I did years ago when we were in the the baby days. She was pregnant at the same time as a, a woman we were friends with. And this woman was pregnant during the summertime. So she would go to the beach and dig a hole in the sand just so she could lay on her stomach. That's how good that felt. So there's nine months of carrying this baby. And then when delivery comes, you are delivered from the burden, so to speak, of that baby. You're delivered to a whole bunch of other burdens called school and teenage years and college and, you know, other stuff. But you get the idea. So what he's saying is you're delivered when you heard that teaching and you obeyed it, you were delivered from the burden of sin. And that obedience to that instruction sets you free. Watch what happens next. This is great. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So before we talk about slaves of righteousness, I want to read one more verse and explain to you why Paul has to apologize for his illustration. Look at verse 19. He says, well, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. I'm trying to help you understand 
this concept of being set free from sin, I'm using slavery as an illustration, and I've just said that you've become slaves to righteousness. In the Roman Empire, one out of every four people was a slave. They understood the picture of slavery. They understood that when you became a slave, you gave up your own will. They understood that when you became a slave, everything you made, bought, sold, all belonged to your master. They understood that your master had complete control over you. Everything you did was subject to your master. He could sell you, rent you out, trade you, or kill you if he wanted to without fear of him being punished because you were a possession. And so Paul draws on that very vivid and jarring picture, which really works when it comes to sin, because that's what sin just has the right to destroy you. Now, sin can't do anything without your permission. See, because you have to present yourself to it to obey it. It has no power. Power of sin has been broken by you now having a choice, having been set free, delivered from that, thinking that was right and wanting to do that. Now you're delivered to this new thing. And he says, now I've used this term, this connection, and now I'm I'm using slaves of righteousness, but I don't want you to think about righteousness in that same way. Do you see what he's saying? Just because I said slaves of righteousness, I don't want you to think that doing the right thing, being obedient to Jesus, is some kind of awful slavery. You see, John talks about that. It's not heavy. It's not a burden to obey the commandments of God. It's not a burden to love people. Not when you're saved, it's not. I want you to think about that, slaves of righteousness. Have you thought about that term? Because you see, there's no neutral ground, as someone once said, in the spiritual war, there is no spiritual Switzerland. Nobody is net neutral. Everybody is either serving sin or serving righteousness. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness, one or the other. You're a slave to your autonomous self-desires and selfishness, or you're going to give up your life to Jesus. And those are the two choices. And he says, you were set free from sin, not set free to just live independently. That's a myth. You're having control of your life, as we've already established, is really a myth. So you're set free to do what? Just like the children of Israel coming out of 400 plus years of slavery in Egypt, Jesus, or excuse me, a God through Moses set them free, not to just wander around the wilderness. That wasn't the original intent. He set them free to do what? Worship. So worshiping and obeying the Lord is what sets you free and keeps you free. And you've become a slave to righteousness. Just like there's been times in your life where you go, I don't, I don't want to take another drink. I don't want to look at that on the internet anymore. I don't want to go spend any more money. I don't want to do it. But then temptation comes and you do it. You go, oh, I can't believe I did it again. In that same way, when you yielded yourself that way, even against your own will, now you can yield yourself even against your own will because whose will is it anyway, right? Your will is kind of neutral. That's where the battle is. You can yield yourself just as easily to do the right thing. Anybody in here in the military? If you've got a military background, I think you understand something of what it means to be a slave or your will is given over. When you sign up for the military, you have signed over, in a sense, your life. And the military then calls the shots in, to a certain degree in your life. So you've signed up for the military, you've joined the army, you've done boot camp, you know, you've gone through the whole thing, and then you, you get some time with your family, and the military calls up, says, we're going to ship you out to the Middle East. And you answer the phone, 
Yeah, hey, is this Steve? Yeah, this is Steve. Hey, this is the Army calling. Uh, we got an assignment for you. You're headed to the Middle East. Oh, you know what? I would love to, but this is a really bad time. I mean, I got my, my wife's birthday is in two weeks. I've got a golf tournament planned. I mean, I, you know, I need some, I've been tired. I've been working really hard. I just, I just need a break. You know, I, so I'll tell you what, check back with me in a couple of months and I'll try to free some time and get over there. But I don't have, I only got a couple of weeks. So what, we laugh because we know that's ridiculous. Because you now you're in a relationship with the military. You knew what you were getting into. You signed up willingly. And when they call, you've agreed to answer and to do what's asked of you. Well, when you got saved, you came begging for freedom from sin. You came knowing you were destroying your life, knowing your thought life was a wreck, knowing your marriage was a wreck, knowing your finances were a wreck, knowing you'd caused so much trouble. You've got a string of broken relationships and hurt in your past. And you came going, oh, Jesus, I'll do anything to get free. And then you get free and you're like, oh, okay, now my life is my own again. And Jesus calls up and says, hey, Steve, there's a young guy and he's sort of, he's homeless and he's out of a job and he just needs a place to stay for the night. Oh, I'd, I'd love to, Jesus. I mean, I know he's in need and I know we've got a house and we can help, and, but oh, this is a really bad time. Or, hey, Steve, there's children's ministry. There's all these kids God's bringing to the church and they need someone to teach them and love them and care for them on my behalf. And boy, it'd be great if you would just get into children's ministry and, and just love those kids on my behalf. Would you do that for me? Oh, Jesus, I'd love to. But kids, that's not my thing. You know, I don't do kids. And, you know, I could go on and on in such a way. Having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, stop right there. Just as you used to do, used to be the natural thing. Whenever there was a party, you were hopping in the car to go. You know, me, I worked in bars before I got saved. I was a bouncer in bars for many years. I was at the bar Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. Some of you were worse. Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. You didn't meet the bar, you brought it home. And then you get saved and you're free from alcoholism or free from whatever other junk you were involved in. Drug addict, what you know, pride, vengeance, anger, all these kind of things. Free from all that stuff. And then Sunday and Wednesday, really? People go to church Sunday and Wednesday? You used to be at the bar every night. But now all of a sudden you're saved and you're a slave to righteousness and you go, two days? Really? I got to go two days to church? Oh, that's a lot. That's asking a lot. Well, when alcohol asked you for more, you gave it. When pornography asks, when anger and bitterness and jealousy ask, you'll do those things every day. Read my Bible every day? Every day? Really? Yeah, you could. If that's what God was calling you to do. Share my faith? No way. I don't do that. Wait a second. When you were drunk, you shared a whole lot of, you said a whole lot of stuff. When you were angry, when you were bitter, stuff that came out of your mouth. And now God says, look, I've saved you. I've redeemed you. I've bought your life and to set you free. And now you're free to use your mouth to say good stuff. First thing that God took from my life, cursing. I was saved before I had kids, praise the Lord. And first thing God took from me was a rotten, stinking mouth. Working in bars, I used to be able to curse like crazy. And God, in an instant, took it. Took it. I got other stuff that he's still working on. 
Because what happens is he says, just as you presented your members, you might want to underline that, circle that, make a note there. Presented your members means to stand at the ready. That's what that literally means, to stand at the ready. When you used to stand at the ready to sin, you planned for it. You looked forward to it on the weekends. You enjoyed every so often an outburst of anger because it made you feel good. You see, this is the challenge with being Christian is, There's a part of us that wants to serve the Lord, but there's a part of us that still like what sin gives. And so we're torn. That's why we feel out of control because God calls and we hear his voice, but then sin calls. We go, ah, you know, this is good, but this really feels good now. It kills me, but it feels good at the time. And not only does it feel good at the time, I'm so used to doing it that it feels right. But when I choose to sin, it leads to more sin. And more sin leads to more sin, and it's a whole spiral effect in my life. That's why sin's a terrible master. Because it will just grind you one piece at a time. That's what he says here. You stood at the ready to do whatever was unclean or dirty or filthy, and you lived like there was no law, like you were free to do whatever you wanted to, and you were, and it led you to more lawlessness to more unbridled living. That's the mantra of our nation. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care how it affects you. I don't care how it affects anybody else. If I want to use that bathroom, I'm going to use that bathroom. Who cares how it affects anybody else? I'm free. Well, you see, there's a freedom to, and there's a freedom from. Those are very important distinctions. You see, for some people, they say, well, sometimes when I want to do this, I feel convicted. So if I can get rid of the conviction and just enjoy my sin, then I feel free. You see, I'm free to live in whatever sin I want to live in. Takes away the guilt temporarily, but it leads me to death. See, I'm free to do it. I'm free to engage it. I'm free to fulfill it. But you'll know it's your master. Listen carefully. You'll know it's your master until you're free not to do it. That's when you're really free. And whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Slaves of uncleanness, lawlessness, to more lawlessness. And he said, in the same way you used to stand at the ready with the parts of your body to fulfill lusts and desires, in the same way, now, present your body, your members, stand at the ready as a slave of righteousness for holiness. You see the contrast he's painting? You see the picture he's painting? Why is it so easy to sin and so hard to do what's right? It should be a 50-50 game, shouldn't it? should be just as easy to do what was right, but we got that sin monster that lives inside of it. And we got this desire for autonomy or perceived autonomy, but really it's not. Really, it's presenting ourselves as a slave to sin. And you can decide today to say no to sin. Sin, you are no longer in control in my life. Sin, I am saying no to you because I am saying yes to Jesus. He controls my mouth, and if he wants me to curse, I'll curse. And last I checked, I've not seen him say that. Matter of fact, I see him say quite the opposite. Put away filthy language out of your mouth. Well, my personal peace, now I'm about, Jesus, you want me to love my neighbor? I'm ready to love my neighbor. If you want me to love my neighbor, I'll love my neighbor. If you want me to love my enemy, I'll work on it. Give me time. We used to tell our kids, slow obedience is no obedience. Look at verse 20. Going back to their past again, he says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. He's highlighting the fact that you can't serve two masters. Making yourself a slave to one sets you free from the other. If you make yourself a slave to sin and you choose to do sin, you choose to let sin control your life, then sin is your master and you're free from any obligation in your life to do what's right. 
because sin calls the shot. And sin will keep you from doing what's right. And he asks a question, great question. He says, what fruit, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? Oh, don't our teenage kids have to learn that for themselves? So you're really into sin? So you really want to sin? Let's not just look at the short-term pleasurable feelings. He doesn't say, for what feeling did you have of those things which you are now ashamed? Of course, we know sin wouldn't be so tempting if it wasn't so pleasurable. We got to be honest about this stuff. Sin feels good. When I have an angry outburst of wrath, I feel powerful. Master of the universe. Everybody's going to quake in their shoes when I enter the room. And we use it to manipulate. When I have things and stuff, I feel important. When I'm always on my cell phone, you know, they call those things cell phone for a reason. We're prisoners to the things. We're slaves to those things. You ever thought about that cell phone? Oh, you'll figure that out on the way home. It's a cell phone. Every time it calls, I answer. Every time it goes, beep, you know, oh, I got a text. I got to answer. Yes, you're driving. Don't answer. I know I'm driving, but I got to answer it. Maybe we're slaves. Look back, church. She says, look back on your life. When you freely engaged in sin, what result did it have? I mean, did it have a long-term good result? You ever look back, man, I'm so glad I spent the 90s drunk. I'm so glad I, I just got into drugs like that. I'm so glad that I've just destroyed every job I've ever had by always telling the boss what was right and wrong, that I knew what was right and he wasn't right. And I'm so glad that bitterness has taken me places in my life. Yeah, it's taken you to isolation. What has jealousy done for you? What has worry and anxiety done for you? He says, think about it. When you're choosing your master, think about the fruit. And it produces, another reason not to make sin your master is because it produces shame. You get saved, you see truth, and you look back on the life that you thought was so good and free when you were living it, and you go, what was I thinking? How did I not know that was so wrong? Anybody had that experience? You look back and you go, what was I thinking? I thought I was free, but little did I know I was a mess. Sin calling the shots in my life. For the end of those things is death. Verse 22, he says, but now, that brings you up to present time, church. He's speaking to you right now. He says, but now, having been set free from sin, that's your experience, and having become slaves of God, is that true? Can you say yes to that? Yes, I've become a slave to God. Ooh, be careful. If you do that, then you have your fruit to holiness and the end is everlasting life. You see, every decision has an outcome and every decision takes you in a direction and the direction determines your destiny. So instead of just going, well, I'm just going to come to church because I don't want to sin anymore. No, that's the wrong reason to come to church because unless you start obeying the Lord and make yourself a slave to righteousness, sin will call you right back and you'll fall right back under mastery. You have got to give yourself to Christ 100% completely and utterly, and then you will see the fruit of holiness in your life. You will start to see a separation happen. All of a sudden, those things that the world used to offer me, those things Google dangled before me, they don't have any power over me anymore. The chains are broken. You didn't break them. All you did was get a new master. And the new master broke the old chains. Oh, your old boss can come calling. What if you get a new job? You got a new boss. And your old boss, where you quit, you said, I'm out of here. I'm getting a new boss. And your old boss comes while you're in your new job and says, hey, I got some errands I need you to run. 
oh, uh, well, I worked for you for a long time and now I'm kind of tempted to go back and work for you again, but I got a new boss and your new boss is there like, well, what are you going to do? And then you get to turn to your old boss and say, get out of here. I got a new boss. I don't listen to you anymore. You don't pay my wages anymore. Pay wages? Yeah, pay wages. That's what you get when you work. Look what he says next. For the wages of sin is death. See that old boss? End of the day, paycheck time. Here's your pay, death. His plan all along was to kill you. Doesn't that make you mad? Like, does that make anybody else angry? Like, I gave myself to serving that thing, and all it was going to do was kill me. And you don't see it until you're on the other side. And now, he says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You want to serve a great master, serve the Lord. He loves you. He's never going to make you do things that will make you ashamed. He's never going to make you do things that you'll live to regret. He wants to save your life. Oh, God is such a big meanie. He wants to keep me from having a lot of fun. Really, was it that fun? All that fun we were supposed to be having back then in the glory days that weren't so glorious? One story, and I'm going to close. Some of you have heard this story before. I'll make it brief, but it's very important. There was a guy, he was a kite maker. His name was Mr. Joshua. Mr. Joshua made beautiful kites, makes this beautiful kite, takes it outside, lets out the string, and windy day, and that kite is flying and twisting and turning, and, and a crow flies by and sees the kite. Says, hey, kite, what you doing up here? And kite says, oh, I'm, I'm having a great time. Just kind of flowing free in the breeze here and enjoying myself. And the crow says, oh, free. Did you say free? Yeah, 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 I'm free. I'm just up here feeling free. Well, wait a second. You see that string that's attached to you? Yeah. Well, look at me. I don't have any strings attached to me. Yeah, you don't, do you? No. You see, I'm free, but you, you're not really free. And the kite began to work. Well, I'm not free. What do you mean I'm not free? Yeah, he's, I think he's right. So the crow says, okay, let's do this. When the next gust of wind comes, you're going to pull really hard. And I'll help you. I'll encourage you. I'll cheer you on. And we're going to break that string that's holding you to your maker. And then you'll be free. And so the wind comes and they push and they pull and pop. The string breaks. And what happens to the kite? Begins to come spiraling down lands in a thorn bush. Well, Mr. Joshua loves his kite and climbs into the thorn bush, bleeding, scratched. He gets his kite back out that he made, takes it back to his shop, fixes it up, repairs it, gets it all put back into order, and then he puts the string back on and he begins to fly it again. And there he is letting that string out and the kite is flying and guess who comes back by? Mr. Crow. And there's the the kite is doing dips and turns and, and enjoying himself. And the crow comes by and says, oh, I see you're, uh, you're, you're flying again. Yeah, flying again. Yeah, still not free, are you, you poor thing? And the kite says, wait a second, Mr. Crow. I got something to tell you. Yeah, what's that? I learned a valuable lesson. What lesson did you learn? I learned that I'm only truly free when I'm connected to my maker. And that's what Paul wants us to know.